Two years ago, during the bicentennial, Moon rented the Yankee Stadium in New York City to have a huge God Bless America rally. And uh, this was two years ago in June. And they were anticipating some 200,000 people coming. Only about 22,000 showed up. But in his message, Moon laid out many of his teachings and principles. He began his sermon that day uh, with these words, and I quote Moon himself. He said, Ladies and gentlemen, if there is illness in your home, do you not need a doctor from outside? God has sent me to America in the role of a doctor, in the role of a firefighter. For the last three years, with my entire heart and soul, I have been teaching American youth a new revelation from God. Now, the question we want to examine this morning is what is this new revelation which Moon is teaching to the young people of America? And who is this new Messiah? Moon claims, to give you a little background, claims approximately 600,000 members worldwide. The majority of these are in Japan and Korea. In America, they have approximately 10,000 members. Of these, only about three to 4,000 would be what we call core members. These are full-time members who are involved in fundraising and recruiting of new members. As we have studied uh, the Moon organization, we've come to see that about 12% of Moonies come from Jewish background, about 35% come from Catholic backgrounds, and the rest are from Protestant backgrounds. Now, Moon is a multimillionaire at the age of 58. He has great holdings in Korea, Japan, as well as the United States. His assets in Korea are over $30 million. In Japan, his assets are over $25 million. And here in America, they are now over $25 million in assets. He owns large manufacturing and industrial plants in the Orient, producing cosmetics, titanium, uh, ginseng tea, a variety of pharmaceuticals, rifles, etc., etc. His moonies, these hardcore members in the States, are required to work 18 hours a day for moon and fundraising through selling of flowers and candy on street corners. And last year, they grossed or took in over $12 million tax-free through their fundraising. As you know, last year, they bought the New Yorker Hotel in Madison, or right across the street from Madison Square Garden, for $5 million cash. And that has become their international headquarters for their organization. Besides the New Yorker Hotel, they also own some $12 million of property uh, in the state of New York, including a 350-acre mansion and a state where Moon lives in, in uh, Terrytown there in New York, which is valued at $9 million. He has projected himself in America through a variety of organizations. And if you approach a Mooney or a Mooney approaches you on the street corners, uh, they will ask you for money. And if you ask them what is the money being used for, they will tell you that it is either being used for a drug rehabilitation center or a you know, youth redevelopment program. And they will never tell you that they are followers of Moon unless you uh, ask them directly. And Moon has over 150 front organizations which he has established here in America to carry out his plan and desires um, 
in America. And some of these titles, let me just give you a few of them that the Moon Organization goes by. They go under Project Unity, One World Crusade, International Federation for Victory Over Communism, uh, the Freedom Leadership Foundation, American Youth for a Just Peace, the Little Angels of Korea, which is a Korean orphan singing choir, uh, Professors Academy for World Peace, Commission for Responsible Dialogue, uh, the College Association for Research of Principles, uh, the D.C. Striders Track Club in Washington, and the list goes on and on and on. These are all owned and operated by Moon to carry out his plans. Now, to give you a little background as to uh, Sun Young Moon, and then we'll look at his theology and what is his uh, organization seeking to attempt, Moon says that the second coming of Jesus Christ and the Messiah came and returned to Korea in 1920, which just happens to be where he was born and the time he was born. But he was born in 1920 in Korea. He says that he was a clairvoyant from birth, that he has been in regular contact with Buddha, uh, Shankara, Lao Tse, Jesus, Moses, Muhammad, and a whole line of religious leaders through a regular clairvoyant spiritist uh, communication. If you were here yesterday morning, uh, when we dealt with the occult, you saw what God said concerning that type of activity. But he says that he was sitting on a hillside in North Korea in 1936 on Easter morning. And he said Jesus Christ appeared to him and told him that he was chosen to complete the plan of salvation which Jesus Christ had failed to complete in his first advent. Now we'll get into this theology in just a moment. He then began to teach his own brand of theology, which we'll look at. And for that theology, as you're going to see, he was excommunicated from the Presbyterian Church in Korea in 1948. He was later uh, captured up in North Korea during the Korean War. He fled to South Korea in 1950. And in 1954, he established his own church called the Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity. They have now shortened that title as the Unification Church. He then published in 1957 his Divine Principles, which is their Bible, or Moon's interpretation of what the Bible says. It's about 500 pages long. If any of you have insomnia, you might pick up a copy. It'll put you to sleep right away. He says that the New Age began in 1960 with his marriage to his fourth wife. We'll look at that in a moment. But then, in 1970, he moved his work from Korea here to the United States, where he says this is going to be uh, the front lines of the battle between God and Satan, and seeking to enlist the help of Americans in this battle. You'll see what he means by that in just a moment. In 1973, then, they moved their headquarters to New York, where they are seeking to carry out their work now. Now, people often ask, how does a young person get involved in the Moon organization? What is the psychological dynamic that brings someone into this? As we have studied Moonies, we have discovered that there are two types of individuals which go into the Moon organization. When Moonies go 
onto a university campus, and this is where they mainly go in seeking to recruit new followers. They look for two types of individuals. The first type that they look for are loners, people who are sitting alone who seem to have no friends, and they will approach them and seek to become friends with them. And they will invite them to come to a free dinner at their local uh, house where they live, and then the process will begin. The second type of individual that we find in the Moon organization is the very idealistic individual. And as you talk to parents who have children in the Moon organization, they will always tell you that their child who is in it was always the most idealistic of the family. And someone comes along and tells them that they can be a part of a movement that is going to unify and bring peace to the world. And in their idealism, many young people are easily swept into the Moon organization. Let me read for you the testimony of one girl who was swept into the Moon organization, and she relates here in Time magazine her experience of how she got involved, and this will give you an idea of their deception and how they go about it. She was a student at the University of Texas, uh, 24 years of age. She was up in Denver, and she says, A blind advertisement in the Denver Post read, Sincere, conscientious person, interested in the betterment of mankind, call this number. Out of curiosity, I called. The young woman who answered explained that she had worked that she worked for an organization similar to the Peace Corps that operated out of a community center in Boulder. She asked me to come for an interview. The center was located across from the University of Colorado in the old Kayamega sorority house. I talked with a young man from Austria. He said that he belonged to a youth movement and asked me if I'd like to come to a weekend retreat to learn more about it. I really liked the atmosphere in the place. Little did I know that my mind had begun a journey from which it may never return. Starting at 9 a.m. on Saturday, a group of about 15 of us heard lectures lasting all day long. That night we were told that the end of the world was at hand, but before this the second coming of Christ would occur. We were also told that the person who had brought these new truths to the world was Sun Myung Moon, a Korean. When I wanted to leave, I was told that Satan would try to pull me away from God because I had been chosen to build the kingdom of heaven. I felt that someone had placed a psychological bomb on my head, and if I left, it would explode. That week, I was driven to spend a few days on a farm in Noble, Oklahoma. We heard lectures every day, then worked and sang in the yard. We all ended up the week by joining, then went back to our own centers. When I arrived in Boulder, I was allowed to go into the prayer room to see Moon's picture. We prayed out loud for 20 minutes, heard a leader read from Moon's works, sang songs, then bowed before Moon's picture, saying, Good morning, true parents. Moon and his wife, we were taught, are the true parents of mankind. The schedule was always the same. Up at 6 o'clock, prayer meeting, breakfast with more songs and prayers, then fundraising. We all went in a van together to the towns around Boulder, singing and praying. Even if we could only wrangle a penny from somebody, it was a victory for God. The more money we raised, the more God-centered we were. We even had to go to bars at night and raise money, arriving home anywhere from 11 o'clock to 1.30 a.m. After two weeks of this, I was so tired that as I arose in the morning, I, could, I would fall against the wall. 
In five weeks of fundraising, I had made $3,000 for the organization. And she goes on telling her experience. But this is how idealistic young people get involved in this. They will see an ad or someone will approach them that they can help save the world. You can help unify the world. And this appeals to their idealism. They are then invited to a dinner where they will be approached by Moonies and will go through a process called love bombing, where the Moonies will just saturate them with love and affection and acceptance for a lonely person. This is just feeds on their ego. They feel accepted there. They feel loved. Then they are invited to a weekend retreat where they will then begin the indoctrination process into the moon organization. If that feels good to you, after a weekend of love bombing or acceptance as they call it, you are then invited to a week-long retreat. It's at that week-long retreat that classical brainwashing begins. Long periods of isolation and creating fatigue up 18 to 20 hours a day so that you become very fatigued, low-protein food, so that you become mentally off-balance. Then they will have periods of love-bombing, acceptance, feeding on your ego, then isolation, always keeping you fatigued, off-balance. And as the week goes on, they continually lecture to you, programming into your mind Moon's theology and your purpose in it. They create a psychological dynamic in you by telling you that if you leave the organization, Satan is trying to... Uh, deceive you, that you must leave your parents, you must leave everything and come follow Moon, or you are following Satan. And they create a great fear in young people in leaving the organization by this time. Once a person gets involved in this, then they are required to fundraise for Moon 18 hours a day. And after a few weeks of this, a person who has tremendous fatigue, they are mentally kept off balance by moving them on a regular basis, not allowing them to talk to their parents. They move them from town to town every two to three weeks. This way they are not easily found by their parents, and they are mentally kept off balance. As one person said, Moon is producing an army of robots in adolescent bodies. And, uh, or is producing an army of adolescents in adult bodies. Now, what he is doing is, after a person has been in the Moon organization for a period of time, there is a marked change in personality. They are convinced that Moon is the savior of the world, he is their true parents, and they must give total servitude to Father Moon. It is not, it is, a person must be in the organization then seven years before one can marry. And part of Moon's goal is to have Korean boys come here to America to marry American girls. That way, these Koreans can achieve citizenship and continue to work for his organization here. It's interesting that as you study the dynamics that are going on in many of these cults, you find a pattern. In Dorothy Briggs' book, Your Child's Self-Esteem, The Key to His Life, she lists four things that are necessary for a person to have a high self-acceptance and esteem of himself, and which is required to be a mature individual. She says, first of all, an individual needs to establish independence from his family to become a confident individual. She says, secondly, a person needs to learn how to relate successfully with the opposite sex. Thirdly, she says, a person needs to prepare for an occupation 
for self-support. And fourthly, a person needs to establish a workable and meaningful philosophy of life. We see that these four things, which are necessary for a person to become mature and independent, are all satisfied by a cult like the Unification Church. When a person goes in to the Unification Church, it is easier for them to look confident and feel confident by relying strictly on the cult. First of all, they become independent from their family by gaining dependence on the cult. Secondly, they are able to relate to the opposite sex because the cult lays down a strict uh, code of ethics in regards to these areas, which they can follow. Thirdly, they are able to establish what appears to be an occupation of self-support by transferring uh, this into menial labor, which they engage in for the cult, in exchange for tangible results of food and lodging uh, and support. And finally, instead of adopting their own philosophy of life, they are able to adopt the philosophy of that particular cult. Now, what we want to look at this morning is, what does Moon teach in his theology? What is his theology? What is he teaching young people? And as you read the Divine Principles and his book, Master Speaks, Moon's theology is laid out in his interpretation of Scripture. His theology is this. He says that Eve sinned by having sexual relations with Satan and that she then passed this sin on to Adam and the whole human race. He teaches, therefore, it was necessary for a second Adam to come, for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, to come. And the purpose that Jesus Christ came to this earth was to marry a sinless woman so that he might, with her, sexually procreate the kingdom of God on earth. Now, Moon says that Jesus Christ somehow got sidetracked from his original mission and mistakenly got himself crucified. And he wasn't able to complete the plan of salvation and bring in the kingdom of God. He says, therefore, there needed to be a third advent or a third Adam, a second advent of Jesus Christ, the new Messiah, to complete the plan of salvation. He says that in 1936, Jesus appeared to him on a hillside in Korea and told Moon that he was chosen to complete the plan of salvation that Christ had failed to complete in his first advent. Moon then, in the late 30s and 40s, began to teach a very sexual theology. He began to teach in Korea that he as the Savior of the world, was required to have sexual relations with 70 virgins, 70 married women, and 70 widows, so that he might pass on his purity to them, he called this blood purging, and that he might sexually bring in the kingdom of God on earth. Well, for this theology, he was excommunicated from the Presbyterian Church in 1948. No wonder. He then began to teach that his wife, and in the 1950s, uh, it 
became too much for him, evidently, and so he changed his theology to say that blood atonement was required, and blood atonement meant nonstop exertion of his followers in total servitude to Father Moon. He then began to teach that he and his wife were the true parents of mankind, and that his fourth wife, who he married in 1960, he says his first three wives were not pure enough, but his fourth wife, who he married in 1960, is the Holy Spirit incarnate, and that their marriage was the marriage feast of the Lamb recorded in Revelations 19, and that their eight children are now the new sinless offspring that are going to bring in the kingdom of God. Now this is Moon's theology, and this is what he is teaching to these young people. He goes on in a variety of different ways. He teaches that Korea is the new Israel, and that the 38th parallel dividing North and South Korea is the battle line between God and Satan, and that communism is the manifestation of Satan in this world. And he is here in America seeking to recruit individuals for the battle between God and Satan, North and South Korea. This is why Sun Myung Moon is so heavily involved in political manipulation here in America. He has assigned three Mooney girls to every congressman and senator in Washington, D.C. to do whatever favors they want in order to achieve favorable legislation for South Korea. Moon and Tonsum Park are heavily involved in the Korean scandal, and it is for this reason that Moon fled the country to England three weeks ago. Donald Fraser, who is the Minnesota congressman, head of the subcommittee on internal investigation, uh, has been investigating Moon, and they subpoenaed him to appear before Congress to answer questions three weeks ago. When he received the subpoena, he got on a plane and fled to England. He is still there. But his translator, Boha Peak, uh, was once one of the heads of the Korean CIA and the interrelationship between the Unification Church, the Korean CIA, and, and Pak, the president of South Korea, are tightly intermingled. Um, we're going to find out about more of this in the coming days. But this is all part of Moon's theology in seeking to gain acceptance for South Korea in their battle against communism, which he sees as the battle between God and Satan. Now, if you turn with me to Jude, verses 3 and 4, the Bible speaks very specifically concerning Moon's theology and his aberrations. Jude, verses 3 and 4, we are told concerning a person like Moon who was to come. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace 
of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is precisely what Moon has done. He has turned the grace of God and the truth of Jesus Christ into his own sexual licentiousness. If you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes specifically about some young moon. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. This is precisely what Moon has done. He has denied our only Lord Jesus Christ. He is exploiting young people with false words, and he has turned the grace of God into his own sexual license. Peter writes specifically about this false teacher and false prophet. Moon now teaches, as I said, that his followers must atone for the sins of their own and of their ancestors through nonstop exertion and service to Moon. You must, when you join the Unification Church, turn over your bank account to Moon, give him all your money, all your belongings. You must reject your family, never see your family again. Father and Mother Moon are your true parents. You are required to work 18 hours a day, and when they are out there on the street corner selling candy and flowers, they are there for only one reason. They are seeking to atone for their own sins through nonstop servitude to Father Moon. Every day they must pray to Father Moon and worship and honor Moon and his wife as the the true parents of mankind. As we read in in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, salvation is not through works, but it is a free gift of God through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And in Titus chapter 3 we read, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we, may, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Salvation is not through nonstop exertion and servitude to Father Moon, but through God's grace, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. I'd like to read for you, just briefly, part of a testimony that was printed in Seventeen Magazine by... Uh, girl who spent quite a while in the Moon organization. She tells, first of all, how she got involved in the Moon organization, and then she describes her experience of working for Moon. Listen carefully. Like thousands of Moonies across the country, I worked all day, every day, selling carnations to raise money for the movement. 
Up at 4 a.m., rattling through the streets with other teams in a seatless van by 5 o'clock, heading for shopping centers or business districts. Breakfast is Chinese rice balls or cereal and candy served in the van. Milk is spilling all over. Team captains whip us up into evangelical frenzy with songs, Bible verses, prayers, and chants. We each call out our determination, the amount we vow we will personally raise that day. No one shouts out an amount less than $100. Some caught up in the moment scream out $1,000. On the streets until the money is made, no matter how long it takes. Rarely back before midnight or 1 a.m. Dinner is vegetables, starches, no meat. We're often too tired to eat. Testimonials about interesting experiences of the day with emphasis on visions and mystical experiences of Reverend Moon. More Bible, more Bible, more drumming about Moon as Messiah, more singing to drive away evil spirits. We then collapse and sleep until the next day begins before dawn. It's all emotion, everything. It's handled by the center director. If I sing too loud, he tells me how to sing. If I want to eat or sit with different people, he says no. If I feel like crying, he snaps, don't cry, tears for yourself. There are no newspapers, no TV, no talk of the outside world. Only later, after I have left the cult, will I see what's happening here. The warm kids in New York fear showing any other emotion because they have been made to believe that negative thoughts are a sign that the devil has invaded them. They are under great pressure to win new recruits like me so that they will be blessed by Reverend Moon. Now, though I don't realize it yet, I'm being manipulated in another way. The lack of sleep, the poor food, the ceaseless noise and commotion, the isolation, the chanted prayers and songs weaken my mental resistance and make me desperately afraid of trying to break free. I never wake without wondering what I'm doing here, but by the time the determinations are hollered out, I'm thinking only of how to sell enough flowers to meet my quota. If we don't sell more, the captains say Reverend Moon will fail to win this country and Satan will triumph. Like the others, I lie. The money goes for drug rehabilitation programs, I tell some people, or for Christian youth projects. Few ask for details. The flowers sell for donations of at least $1 apiece, triple their cost. Some days I raise over $240, never less than $100. I give it to the captains and never hear of it again. On the road... We're in a caravan trying to canvas every town in California, or so it seems. One girl rents a hotel room each night. The rest of us sneak up the fire escape with our sleeping bags. The boys sleep in the van. Sexual contact is strictly taboo. My legs ache from the pounding the pavement. An inch-thick callus has hardened on my soul. I'm sick with fever. I can't get up. Other moonies sprinkle holy salt around my bed to drive away bad spirits. A doctor forget it. I know of one moon girl who developed an eye ailment. Other members were brought in to see her wreathing in pain as an example of someone who is possessed. By the time she was finally allowed to get medical treatment, she was partially blind. If you're sick, it means your ancestors sinned in your pain. It's now September. Physically and emotionally drained, I'm back in New York for a new assignment, witnessing and winning converts. My days, rain or shine, are spent approaching people as I was first approached at the library. I don't have a knack for spotting good prospects, as some Moonies do. Day after day, people ignore me. I'm swept with guilt and fears. The center director tells me if I witness unsuccessfully to a girl, 
and she's raped the next week, it's my fault because I didn't bring her into the movement in time. I'm given conditions or punishments to free me of Satan's influence. Cold showers, longer and longer ones, reading Reverend Moon's doctrines over and over, praying all night in repentance, begging God to forgive me, fasting a week at a time, by eagerly serving the conditions I can overcome my sins. Oh God, please help me, I'm so afraid. Now this is not uncommon, what is going on in the Moon Organization. Last week I was lecturing down in San Diego. And on Wednesday night of last week, I lectured on the Moon Organization. And we had some interesting people there. One of them was a mother whose daughter had been in the organization and is still in the organization. She's been in it for six years. For some reason, they allowed her to come home for three days just last month. She came home for three days, and when she was ready to leave, she could not find her airline ticket to return. She pleaded and begged with her mother to buy her another ticket, and her mother said, well, why don't you just stay home with me? She says, Mommy, you don't understand. She says, if I don't come back, you don't know what they'll do to me. And just by chance, this daughter left her diary uh, that she had been keeping for the last six years uh, in the Moon organization. And the mother showed it to me last Wednesday night. And in her latest uh, writings, uh, just from this last month, uh, she tells about how she has under, had to undergo uh, three hours of cold showers seeking to purge her of Satan, how they beat her, how they keep her in isolation, and seeking to uh, atone for their own sins. And she just was in absolute fear of some young moon. But she had to go back. She had to go back or else... She said, I don't know what will happen to me. And you find this as you study the Moon Organization. And I work with an organization back in Minnesota called Free Minds. It's an organization of parents who have children in the Moon cult. We also now have about 20 former Moonies who have come out of the organization and be re have been reprogrammed. And the stories they tell are the exact thing. We also had an interesting experience last Wednesday night. After I was finished, I walked back out, and a lady introduced herself to me. She was the head of the Unification Church for all of Southern California. She has been their teacher in Los Angeles for nine years, teaching Moon's theology. And so we spent two hours that night uh, discussing Moon's theology and why she was in the organization. It was very interesting. As she told about Moon's theology, how wonderful it was. She had been in it nine years, head of their church here in Southern California. I asked her this question. I said, ma'am, I said, if it's such a wonderful organization, I said, why don't you let children go home and see their parents? I said, we've been trying for three years to get some children out of the organization. I said, why don't you let them go? I said, what do you fear? And as I began to talk about the family, I could tell that she was deeply disturbed inside. She had told me that her son was also in the Moon Organization for the past six years. And I said to her, I said, Ma'am, I said, when was the last time you saw your son? I said, what kind of family relationship do you have? And you could tell the tears almost came to her eyes. But she was deeply disturbed by many things that were going in the organization. But she was so brainwashed 
in believing that Moon was the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that she feared leaving it. And it breaks your heart as you're involved in dealing with this type of thing. But as we conclude, Moon teaches several things in his theology. But one thing that he hammers into Mooney's, and as we bring Mooney's out of the organization, as we talk with them, we discover that Moon, in his teachings, hammers one thing home. He says you are to hate the cross of Jesus Christ more than anything else. And he teaches them there is one thing that you are to hate more than anything else, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And every Mooney I've talked to says they are continually hammered into their minds. Hate the cross and hate the blood of Jesus Christ. Moon teaches that the blood of Jesus Christ is meaningless. That you must atone for your own sins by servitude to Him. Well, is the cross of Christ meaningless? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are saved it is the very power of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, we read, For I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the very center of Christianity and is one of the common characteristics of every cult. Every cult seeks to do away with the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the one thing that Satan attacks more than anything else, and Moon exemplifies this in teaching his followers to hate the blood of Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, we read, But may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then in Colossians chapter 2, 14 and 15, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us. And he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And in Colossians chapter 1, Verse 20, we read, God chose through Christ to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ alone that we have forgiveness and cleansing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, we read, Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we saw last night, because of who Jesus Christ was, Hebrews tells us that he was the eternal lamb of God, the infinite sacrifice, who shed his blood once for all time for the remission of sins. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can come and find salvation. And as you study the cults, every one of them seeks to do away not only with the deity of Christ, but the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the foundation for our salvation. Now, there are many things that we could go into in regards to Moon, but uh, why don't we just stop, and you may have some questions concerning uh, 
this lecture or perhaps some other subject which we haven't had time to deal with or won't deal with. And uh, we'll just take a few minutes for questions and then we'll be dismissed. She's asking good questions concerning how do you use this information, somebody who is in the cult seeking to uh, witness to you on the street corners. This is one of the most difficult questions because when you confront a Mooney on the street corners, if they've been in it any length of time, they have gone through a classical brainwashing technique, the same brainwashing that took place in North Korea during the Korean War. And so what we find is that anyone who has been in it over a period of time is no longer on a conscious level of thought. And if you seek to witness to them on the street corners, they'll go in one ear and out the other. They are no longer on a conscious level of thought. They have submitted their will in total servitude to Father Moon. For example, uh, I was with Neil Maxwell up in Pleasant Hill. His daughter was in the Moon organization for six years. They just recently were able to uh, bring her out of the organization and to uh, deprogram her uh, recovery. They had her in a motel room for deprogramming. For five days, she laid huddled in a fetus position in the corner of a room, crying incoherently as a baby. It wasn't until the seventh day that she was brought back up to a conscious level of thought where she could even speak intelligently or rationally. It wasn't until the tenth day that she even began to think for herself. And then once you bring them back up to a conscious level of thought, then you can begin to question them to create doubts and confusion in their own mind concerning what Moon is teaching and to show them that he is lying, he is a deceiver. And they need to come to that place where they rationally think for themselves again. And this is one of the most difficult things in dealing with the Moonies. Because you come to this question of what about deprogramming? And when you come to deprogramming, you have great moral and legal implications. First of all, who is to determine what brainwashing is? Uh, once a child is of, a, of age, 18, uh, is it your right as a parent to kidnap her and have her deprogrammed? If it is, who is to say that someone does not come to power who one day will say that you know, all Baptists or all Catholics or all Pentecostals or whoever are brainwashed and that they need to be deprogrammed. And so it's a very touchy issue, especially uh, based upon our constitution of separation of church and state. This is why uh, the Congress has a very difficult time in dealing with the unification church uh, because of the separation of church and state. And I respect that. But as a parent, when you understand that actual brainwashing is going on and that your child is no longer under control of their own life, then a parent is willing to take extremes. Now, we encourage parents uh, in dealing with this to use some other techniques first, if possible. If a child has been in it just for a brief time, we encourage parents to try and make contact with them and, and, and establish what we call a parent-child uh, bargain where you say to your child, okay, if you're going to commit your life to this, you owe it to us as your parents who raised you for 18, 20 years or whatever to come home for two weeks and let's talk about it. And if after two weeks you feel like you still want to go into it, that's your choice. And oftentimes a child will then come home uh, based upon that bargain 
and then you can get professional help and counseling and bring that child out of it before they get too heavily involved. A second way that we have used in the past is uh, is going to court and, and, and for a parent to get a temporary conservatorship or guardianship over their child and then through uh, professional counseling and help uh, recover them or bring them out of the organization. Sometimes it goes to the extreme where a parent has to decide if their child is a robot or is he sane? Does he know what he's doing? And if you're a parent and your 19-year-old daughter is in the moon cult, uh, many parents are willing to take those legal and moral uh, implications and, and uh, bring them out and have them deprogrammed. It's a very touchy issue. Um, but the best med medicine always is preventative medicine for parents to uh, build a strong family at their own home level and uh, and we would not see these cults rising like they do. And this is the major thing that is leading many young people into these cults. They're seeking acceptance because they don't find it at their in their home. And, uh, and it's the breakdown of the home, which is a great disaster in America today. Well, the thing you can do is when they confront me, uh, I ask them, are you Mooney? They say, yeah. I say, how long have you been in it? Why are you in it? And then I share with them, I say, hey, you can get out of it. Because every Mooney, just like these testimonies I read, they wake up and they know they don't want to be in here. No one likes being out on the road 18 hours every day pounding the pavement. And to begin to simply place doubts and questions in their mind, hopefully they will begin to think for themselves. And... Uh, and share with them what Jesus Christ means to you. That moon is a deceiver. He's false. That life alone is in Jesus Christ and His blood. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will take that and then use that in their life. We had another question back here first. Okay. Is it possible they're possessed? I believe that some young moon himself is classically demon-possessed. And he manifests all the characteristics of... Uh, that as well as, well, we won't go into that, but I believe that, uh, of course, behind this cult, the whole dynamic behind it is Satan himself. And in all of these cults, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of darkness, of wickedness, as Paul says. And this is what the dynamic is, ultimately, behind the Moon Organization. And many people who have gone to do research in the Moon Organization, who have gone to Terrytown and Berrytown, their seminary in New York, have said that only after two or three days of being there, just as researchers to view what was going on, they had to literally force themselves to leave the organization, to leave Berrytown, because of, they said there was just a supernatural demonic power that just sought to pull them in, and they had to forcibly force themselves to walk out the gate. And it's hard for many of us to understand, but we are dealing with real demonic forces. And it's devastating. We'll be dismissed now, and uh, I'll be here if you have any further questions. You're tuned in with the Underground Christian Network.